Uh, when you think about the word conversion, what comes to your mind? Change of life. Sometimes conversion is defined by a people as a change of mind that results in a change of will. Uh, conversion, if you look in a dictionary, if you even look in a Bible dictionary that has uh, the term conversion in it, uh, they have it being synonymous with turning. So when we talk about conversion, we're talking about turning from one thing to another. Now there's a negative conversion and there's a positive conversion. Uh, back in the Old Testament, we often read about God's people doing what? Turning from him to Idols, right? Worship of idols, Baal, and and uh, all the false gods that uh, were in the land of the uh, uh, people when they came to Canaan. Uh, so they that that would be a negative conversion, turn them away from the living and true God to idols. And when Paul uh, wrote here in First Thessalonians, he talked about a group of people that had been turned from. Idols to what? To God, the living and the true God, yeah. So that's a positive conversion. Uh, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, do you read of any individual conversions? No. We don't, uh, in fact, uh, no individual conversions are mentioned in First or 2 Thessalonians. Uh, but he does make reference to, uh, as we've already seen in uh, previous lessons, to the events that happened in Philippi just prior to his coming to Thessalonica. And what were those events? Had to deal with conversion. We had who? Lydia? The Philippian jailer? Yeah. And probably Jason, as uh, we studied about, who they, you know, drug out and mistreated and things because he hosted uh, them in his house. So he probably was a convert of Paul at that place as well. So there's a lot of uh, inferences to conversions, but none are specifically recorded in the book of 1 Thessalonians. But Paul preached the same word at Thessalonica that he did at Philippi, right? Yeah, he didn't change the message. He preached the word of God. Uh, in your book there, it gives you uh, the uh, reference to Romans, the first chapter and verse 16 in the introduction there. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The power of God to salvation. Uh, there would be no salvation if there was not the gospel, right? And the gospel is in essence what Paul defined in 1 Thessalonians 15, 3-4 there in your 
introduction as being what? The preaching of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, so there, there has to be in conversion a message. And then, of course, that message has to be gotten out, that is, preached or taught. And then it has to be heard, right? Uh, there can be a lot of preaching, but yet people can do what? Yeah, they can stop their ears up, can't they? Uh, they can just... Have you ever heard people talking and you just not listening, really? You couldn't tell what they... What anybody what they said because you didn't you heard them but you weren't listening. I've done that. I'm sure you have too. But when we talk about uh, planting the seed and it being heard and received, we think about a parable that Jesus gave in uh, Luke eight, and that's the parable of the sower. In the parable of the sower, what did the seed represent? The word of God, didn't it? If you'll turn over there and read in uh, Luke, the uh, 8th chapter, verses 11 to 15, uh, there is an explanation of that parable given. Uh, actually, there were four types of soils that the Lord spoke about in that. Uh, there was the soil that fell by the wayside, that is, the paths and things that were around the, the field where the hard soil was. There was the rocky ground. There was the thorny ground. And then there was the good ground, right? Now, the seed that fell by the wayside, what happened to it? Yeah. Uh, sun come up and it would wither away because if the ground is hard and the seed don't penetrate that, then it's not going to sprout and, and come up, is it? That, that fell among the rocks, what happened to it? Couldn't take good root, could it? Yeah, and uh, so it, uh, it withered away. And the thorny ground did what to the seed? Choked it out, didn't it? Uh, have you ever planted your garden and one section of it you, you kind of neglected and before you knew it, uh, weeds had covered up everything and uh, uh, you didn't get any harvest. You got to pull out the weeds and let the seed that uh, whatever it is that you want to produce grow and if you kind of baby it, nurture it a little bit, take care of it, then you're going to reap the benefits from it, aren't you? And of course, the good soil into which the seed was sold did what? Brought forth an abundant harvest, didn't it? Now, those, those situations are representing individuals and the state of their hearts. Uh, an individual who will hear the word of God who will listen to the word of God, who will come to believe the word of God, will eventually do what? 
obey and bear fruit for the Lord. And that's what he's talking about here in the process of conversion. Seed is the word of God. It must fall into a good and honest heart, and when it does, it will bring forth fruit to the Lord. So there's more. There's more to conversion than just hearing the word, right? Now, there are some people in our religious uh, climate today who says that hearing is sufficient to salvation. And there are others who say that believing is sufficient. If you just have faith that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, then you know everything's all right with you. But now, you know, we need to go a little bit further uh, and see what the Bible teaches in regard to those uh, things. I've sit and listened to a many of men mislead people uh, in a funeral service by that kind of teaching and that kind of doctrine. Uh, in Acts uh, 4, uh, 12, there's salvation in none other name save the name of Jesus. But yet Acts 2.38, Peter said you had to repent and what? Be baptized for the remission of sins. And as you read uh, and study, all of the conversions that you find in the book of Acts, hearing and believing, yes, necessary. But yet, Hearing and believing in and of themselves does not lead to salvation. There's more involved in the plan of God. And as Brother Keeble says, uh, Matthew says a lot of times, Brother Keeble says there's water in the plan. Well, Brother Keeble didn't come up with that statement originally. That God said there's water in the plan uh, because he put it there. So conversion is necessary. We must hear the message, we must believe the message, and as your introductory uh, statement says there, we must act upon what we have heard and received into our heart. We must change our lives to comply with what God requires. So we have to turn from our sins and live differently live righteously as God would call us to do. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, in your introduction, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So, once we complete the process of conversion, eventually resulting in being baptized for the remission of our sins, we then are cleansed from sin and made new creatures in the Lord. And he mentions the fact here that many of the Corinthians in Thessalonica were converted from the worship of idols, and we talked about that in the beginning. Uh, they were converted from worshiping idols to serve God. 
Now, why did their conversion occur to start with? Because they were willing to do what? Top of page 35. They were willing to hear and obey God's will. You know, people can be living sinful lives and we don't see too many people around us that have an image set up that they worship, do we? We don't, they don't, we don't see a statue or, or a, a little uh, icon that sits up on the mantle that people bow down to and worship. But yet, there are things that we put more a priority on than God sometimes. And people in the country that you and I live in uh, are oftentimes tempted, I think, uh, to set their idol up without recognizing maybe that it is such. Take, for example, our culture emphasizes uh, our entertainment, right? You know, that's a big uh, thing that these companies that make various products appeal to us. You want to be entertained. You want to feel good. You want to have a good time. Buy this. <laughs> or buy that. Uh, and that might be uh, uh, that might be entertainment that somebody else provides that we may enjoy. And let me say this. There's nothing wrong with our entertainment, right? As long as we don't let that entertainment interfere with our service to God. Yeah. In other words, uh, I'm not going to, oh, if old George Jones was still alive, I'm not going to forsake my worship on Sunday morning to see him in concert at 11 o'clock in Nashville, Tennessee. I like old George Jones, <laughs> Well, you know, some things he does okay and some things not. But he had a good voice, in my opinion. You may differ. But I like Flatt and Scruggs, too. <laughs> you may not even know who that is, some of you younger people. But, you know, I'm not going to forsake our assembly on Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night in order to see that sort of thing. And then there's those boats that Matthew talks about all the time. And these four-wheelers that we see up and down the road a lot of times. And there are plenty of them around my way. I'm not going to let those things interfere with my worship to God on Sunday morning. You see, sometimes in entertaining ourselves and in the field of recreation, we may not realize it, but we set some of these things up above God. And we have to be careful about that. These Thessalonian Christians had turned from the worship of idols to the service of God. And they received the word of God. Notice what he said there in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 2. They welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it was in truth the word of God. So they regarded 
the message that Paul brought to them as the genuine word of God. It wasn't like the philosopher's uh, message of his day. Uh, it wasn't something that came out of the mouth of a human being who claimed divinity. But Paul says later on that he received it how? From whom? Yeah, from God. From the divine authority of God. So that's where he got it. Now that's what the first section's about. Receiving the word. Uh, he, he begins there by saying uh, that he expressed thanks for their work of faith, their labor of love, and patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ on the bottom of page 35. He was thankful for them, and he expresses that thought various times throughout this letter, and also uh, he will in the second letter. Now, notice that uh, verse 13 again. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So, Paul was willing to preach. They were willing to hear. And when they heard, they come to believe that what he preached was truth. Uh, truth. It's kind of interesting there in that verse, the word welcomed. You welcomed it, not as the word of men. What was that make you think about welcomed it yeah glad to have it you know when somebody comes to see us uh, we have a mat says welcome or a sign on our porch that says welcome do we mean that <laughs> well we do for most people don't we <laughs> Jehovah's Witness we might say now just depart and we'll talk later uh but we're glad that they're coming, right? So Paul says these folks were glad the truth was preached. And it produced positive things. Now there are a lot of people today that do not welcome the preaching of the truth. Why? Because it condemns them. Yeah. It's, it's uh, if you... Paul said, I'm not become your enemy because I tell you the truth when he preached the gospel of Christ. You know, truth hurts sometimes, but yet you can't be saved without the truth, can you? Truth of what God requires for salvation. So they stepped forward. They received. The word of God. And they received it as the word of God, not words of man. And Paul, when he, uh, when he talks about that, uh, 
really lets us know and let the Thessalonians know that he was inspired of God. Uh, there's a good section on page 36 of your book, uh, that last full paragraph there. And there is a, a note about what Lipscomb and Shepherd wrote about the subject we're talking about today of conversion. Let's just read that. The Word of God is described as living and active. By it, the new birth is effective. 1 Peter 1.23 The soul saved, James 1.21 We're sanctified, John 17.17 17, and 1 Timothy 4.5 and edified, Acts 20 and 32. It bears fruit and increases throughout the world and grows and prevails mightily, Acts 19.20. Like the seed of Mark 4, the word of God bears its life power within itself, hence its manifold activities and its boundless increase. It is compared with fire against that which is false and with a hammer against that which is strong. Jeremiah 23, 29. It is light in the midst of darkness. Psalm 119, verse 105. And it is the sole weapon in the Christian's wealth, uh, warfare. Uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 17. Now that whole section is talking about what? The word of God. Yeah. It's powerful. In fact, the Hebrew writer says it's sharper than what? in a two-edged sword. And Paul was grateful that they had welcomed the word, they had received it into their hearts, they had been converted and they were living uh, the Christian life like they ought to. And he was so grateful. And we're grateful today when people choose to do that. After they obeyed the gospel, though, the next section of our lesson. They faced perse persecution like Paul and his company did. Now when, when uh, Paul came to Philippi and began preaching Christ, the Jews from the place he was at before came down there and they created and stirred up the problems for him, right? And remember they were beaten almost to the point of death. They were cast into uh, prison at Philippi into the innermost prison. But yet, at night, what happened? They were singing and praising God about midnight, and then doors opened. Jailer got scared, wanted to kill himself. Paul said, do yourself no harm. We're all here. And he took him the same hour of the night. He washed their stripes, and then they washed his stripes when he and his household were baptized into Christ. So, Paul is able to get out of Philippi, released by God, you might say, from the uh, jail in which he was incarcerated, and then moved on to Thessalonica. Well, the Jews that created the problem in Philippi came on down to Thessalonica and stirred up the city there against him. After three Sabbaths in the synagogue, no longer let him talk in there, would he? And eventually... He had to leave Thessalonica or else face the threat of being killed. 
So persecution followed Paul uh, in his teaching and in his preaching. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus, verse 14. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans. So Paul's giving a comparison of the church at Thessalonica suffering the same kind of persecutions that the Jewish church in Judea suffered. Uh, and some of the things he says that they suffered is recorded there in Acts 17. When the Jews who were not persuaded becoming envious took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. Verse 5. Well, Paul, in, in his persecutions, he was persecuted by his own countrymen, wasn't he? He was a Jew who held Roman citizenship, but yet they opposed him, right? In fact, he was a highly educated Jew. Uh, trained at the feet of Gamaliel, uh, as you read in the book of Acts, uh, skilled in the knowledge of the law of the Jews. But yet, once he was converted and baptized for the remission of his sins, Acts twenty-two sixteen, he became a persecuted Christian at the hands of his own countrymen. And so the Thessalonians were experiencing the same thing. The persecutions that came to Paul and his company at all of these places, what was the intended motive for those persecutions? Stop the spread of the gospel of Christ. If you can cut off the head of something, most of the time what happens? He dies, right? So, uh, not necessarily saying Paul was the head, but Paul indeed was one of the outspoken leaders and founders of the church, local congregations in the day and age in which he lived. So if they could stop the powerful and bold way in which Paul spread the gospel, then they might stop people from receiving it, right? And being converted. But persecution didn't stop Paul and persecution didn't stop the Thessalonian Christians. Paul expresses thanks that they had a genuine faith. Scattered and went everywhere preaching the word. Yeah. That's right. You uh, study in the book of Acts, you know, uh, those that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Uh, you look at the opening part of Acts 8, and uh, you see branching out to various places and eventually leading on into the times that Paul. Uh, uh, his three missionary journeys are mentioned there in the book of Acts and the places that he went. 
So the persecution that they suffered was an indication of the faith they had being genuine. Uh, if you didn't really believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and submit in obedience to his will, would you suffer the threat of death for his cause? No. You know, we wouldn't. If, if, if I didn't really believe in Christ, I certainly wouldn't stand up and say that if somebody was threatening to shoot me in the head if I did. Now, there's been cases like that where people were asked to renounce Christianity. And many of the early Christians faced that. Just read Revelation. You know, uh, persecution upon persecution. But those that endeared those persecutions and stood firm in the faith showed that they had a genuine faith. Paul said uh, that every Christian will be called upon to suffer persecution. He told Timothy that in his writings to, to uh, Timothy. Uh, so it's kind of interesting here in this text that Paul describes how the Jews, at the bottom of page 37, kill both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they do not please God and are contrary to all men. Who actually was responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus? The Jews were. Of course, the crucifixion was in keeping with Roman law, but yet the charges, the testimony against him, were all given by the Jews. So I, I don't think, and your book mentions here the fact that this is the most explicit condemnation of any people to be found in all of Paul's writings. And he mentions a section there in Romans 9, 1 to 3, where Paul loved his Roman brethren. There's no doubt about that. Uh, the book of Romans is a complex book in a lot of ways. <clears throat> Contrast what they thought the law required and what the gospel of Jesus Christ was about. But yet there was no doubt as he wrote... Uh, the book of Romans, that he loved his Jewish brethren and he loved his Jewish people, but he also knew that they rejected Christ and were responsible for the crucifixion. Well, Peter said that in his sermon on Pentecost, didn't he? You have by wicked hands taken and slain the Son of God, right? So he put the blame there as well. We want to preach the word to everything, that's, to everybody, and that's what Paul wanted to do. He wanted to preach the word to everybody, didn't want to exclude anybody, whether he was a Jew or a Greek, whether he's black, white, red, yellow, whatever. The gospel message is a message that needs to go everywhere 
regardless of race, wealth, poverty, whatever it may be. Because it's a message of hope, of salvation in Christ, and of something better that awaits us when this life is over. And one thing, he, he makes it very plain here that it's a great sin to oppose Christ. A great sin to oppose Christianity. We must be promoters of Christ. Well, last section, and we're already past time, uh, Paul longed to see them uh, like we long to see a lot of these folks that's been confined by COVID. You know, that's just uh, maybe a year for some of us. But uh, Paul was years away from some of his brethren. He longed to see them, but he couldn't come because what happened? Satan hindered him. Now, he doesn't explain what that is. We don't know what the hindrance was. But something happened to prevent him from being able to come back and see face to face and encourage these brethren. But even though he couldn't do that, what did he do? He remembered them in his prayers constantly. I've baptized a few people over the years and I remember them I haven't seen some of them in a long time. But yet occasionally, it'll flash back through your mind and you pray they're doing well. Well, that's kind of like Paul was. Read the uh, two uh, applications that are at the back of the lesson. We don't have time to do that right now. Uh, they're good, but conversion is a turning. It's a hearing of the message, a believing of the message, and a willingness to implant that within our heart and cause us to change our minds and turn from sin to follow God. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for the day you've given us and for all of our blessings. Pray that you'll continue to bless us and help us. May we always love your word, receive it in our hearts, study and meditate upon it, and always be obedient to the things that you require of us. Bless us in our worship hour today. We pray that we may worship in spirit and in truth. And that truly everything we do will be done in accordance to your will. Bless all those that need our prayers, our sick, our shut-in, those that have suffered the loss of loved ones. Just pray, Father, that you'll be with all of them. Bless them and give them peace and comfort in their lives. Pray that you will forgive us of our sins and continue to watch over us and direct us as we make each step of this life. And when we're finished here, we pray heaven can be our home. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.